Good evening, everyone. Welcome back into the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Pod. Sorry for the hiatus. Uh, life gets in the way sometimes. So we're back. Um, we're going to talk some Jays Volleyball for you. So the breakdown, we're not going to go back two weeks in time. We're just going to go back on the weekend. So St. John's and Seton Hall were ass weapons. so just go back and look at the stats. Hop on Flow Sports, watch Meg call the St. John's game, all that stuff, and you'll get caught up. Uh, from now, we're going to get you caught up on on Marquette and DePaul. Uh, look ahead on the schedule a little bit. Yeah, just talk some James Volleyball. Meg, how's it going, man? Man, sorry. How's it going, Meg? <laughs> I have it's a lot all of pots good. With, I have a lot of pots with dudes, if you can't tell. Yeah, that's okay. No, it's going good. Uh, how, was your, how was your weekend? Yeah, it was... Would you? Pretty good. Not too much. Watched both Creighton games, of course, and enjoy the beautiful weather before it hopefully, you know, gets colder here. So it was good though. Yeah, I'd take some fifties and sixties for a bit, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like just oh, tell yeah, winter for sure. Tell winter to hold up for a minute, you know. No rush. Um, so yeah, uh mixed weekend for the Jays. They went one and one. I think uh Right to no one's real surprise from a result standpoint, but there's still some things to kind of dissect from a performance standpoint. Um, obviously, going into Milwaukee without Nora, and then as it turns out, uh, no Sydney Breisinger um, put the Jays kind of like behind the eight ball there from a personnel standpoint, and then Marquette was playing really well ever since they got into Big East play. So just kind of two teams on maybe opposite ends of the uh, – momentum spectrum to a degree and i think that was you probably like as much as creighton has dominated the series head to head and you know kind of had stranglehold on the league itself over the last decade uh you i don't think it was unfair to say that creighton was an underdog in this matchup going into milwaukee um and it, I, I think it was uh but i don't think it was lopsided as a sweep you know i think it was competitive sweep and even a sweep that I think when the Jays maybe watch back the film of certain segments of each set and how they played out, they probably I think they might go into that wanting a few of those points back just because uh, as much as Marquette played well, uh, I think Creighton probably had a little bit too many self-inflicted wounds in order to upset a top 25-ish team on the road, you know. Um, so in that respect, I think Creighton might might um, beat themselves up a bit if they think too much back on this match. I guess what was your takeaway in terms of why Marquette came out on top despite the fact that they probably were favored going in? Yeah, I think, I mean, just starting at the basics, like serve and pass, I thought Marquette was able to get Crane out of system a lot and neutralize them. Um, I think you kind of felt the loss of Sydney Brysinger a little bit from Crane's standpoint, just because she's been so good from the service line. Um I thought Creighton, I thought the service, I mean, like the ace to error ratio for both of the teams, I thought was pretty even with Creighton at five aces, Marquette at six, and then you had 11 errors for Creighton, nine for Marquette. So they were going after it, obviously. I think as far as being in system and having a lot of options, sometimes, you know, that wasn't the case for Creighton. Just at key points, you know, like you said, it was competitive back and forth, but at end game, especially, I think you started to notice like errors being made or things 
rolling Marquette's way versus Creighton, and they were able to kind of squeeze out the win when you get to that 2020 mark or so. So I think that area of the game for Creighton just wasn't the strongest. But up until, you know, you hit 20 or 21, 22, I thought it, you know, it was pretty back and forth for all of these sets for the most part. Yeah, I think maybe set three was probably the one that Marquette controlled the most. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, games one and two felt like toss-ups. Um, but Marquette outscored Creighton seven to one in endgame in set one and seven to five at endgame in set two. So, I mean, you Marquette wins set one by four and outscores Creighton by six at endgame. And they win set two by two and outscored Creighton by two at endgame. So, really, you know, if, we, if you want to narrow it down, endgame was the difference maybe – in those first two sets in particular, and then depending on how those go, ultimately the match. But, you know, you mentioned serve and pass and first contact and just kind of setting your offense up for success, right? Like, it felt like as close, as competitive as this match was, it felt like as close as it could have gone either way. Uh, I thought Marquette, to your point, was a lot better um, offensively and on first balls. I just don't think they were... I just don't think Creighton disrupted them enough to offset how much how disruptive Marquette was to Creighton. Does that make sense? I guess is the way I put it. Like, you know, Marquette yeah. hit three. I think Sorry, it does. No. I mean, I think it does. Obviously, like they weren't out of system enough to neutralize them to a point of like, okay, we can all move out to the outside and block somebody. I think it's like they got them off the net a little bit, but their setter's good enough to still hit a middle, you know, in the middle of the court if she's off the net or have, you know, the back row option, have behind you and outside, like to have three or four options in every rotation. So yes, they neutralized them maybe a little bit. So they weren't extremely comfortable and on the net all the time, but not enough of like, where are they going? And you can just kind of like hedge your bets one way with your blockers and say, okay, this is the one option they have. I think they have enough options where, they're good enough to like in every position to put the ball down with some pace. Mark hit it three twelve on first balls. Creighton hit one oh nine, so that's a pretty big disparity right there. You know the kills were were like you know, whacked. Marquette only had nineteen first ball kills. Creighton had eighteen. But you talk about efficiency. Uh, you know Marquette put down their opportunities at a way higher rate than Creighton did on those first balls. So it just kind of lets you. That's like kind of like a sneak peek into like. Who's being more disruptive from the service line right there? You know, when you know, if you're able to be that efficient offensively, you're pretty comfortable. Um, two players in particular that were comfortable comfortable for Marquette were Aubrey Hamilton and Hattie Bray, which is another bad sign for Creighton because those are kind of the numbers you want to make, you know, have their kills to error ratio be more closer to one to one so you can kind of make Marquette have to have to think about where they want to go offensively, you know. Um, that was not the case with Hamilton or Bray. Um, mine, they hit 391 on 46 swings. Um, it's way too high of efficiency. I mean, you have to be really good offensively yourself if the if two key cogs like that are hitting at that high of a clip and and both in double digit and kills, you know, under 30 swings. So that just was Creighton just couldn't keep up with that firepower once those two got going. It was pretty tough uh, for Creighton to kind of. It just felt like str- scoring points was a struggle. Just like, like they were scrappy. I think they were competitive. Obviously, end game there was a, it was a tale of two teams. But um, when you just look at the scoring dynamics and how easy it was for each team to put points on the board, I felt like Creighton was kind of like, you know, uh, like running uphill more than Marquette was. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like you said, obviously, to have Hamilton and Bray be that efficient is great for Marquette. You know, that's what they want. They need somebody to go off on their team and have two of those players go off and be really efficient. It's impressive. And then the other one for me was their setter. I mean, Anjante had zero errors, four kills, hit 500 on her setter dump attempts. And then, I mean, you look at Kendra Waite on the other flip side of that. She only had two kills, 13 attempts, and hit 077 on her attempts. And that's a number that you wouldn't expect, right? I feel like looking at both of those setters. And I think that also tells you a little bit of the story of just Marquette scout-wise. I thought they were on it. I mean, they were on the setter dumps, and they also just scouted everyone well of, like, where they want to hit, what they're going to do. You know, if they get into trouble, do they like to tip? Do they like to do this? And I thought Marquette was a couple times – maybe just a step ahead for some of those and just didn't make it easy for Creighton. Like you said, I thought it was a little bit easier for Marquette to get balls down on Creighton for whatever reason. I mean, Creighton held Marquette the 226 hitting as a whole, which is over a hundred points below what Marquette had been hitting in Big East play to that point through the first five matches of conference play. But again, when you're struggling to score points, like, you know, can hang your hat like you're doing you're doing well enough to hold Marquette's offense in check to some degree obviously you had two hitters going off for them um but when you hit 126 as a team like you're just not you're not taking advantage of that enough you know because you're basically just in a dogfight at that point and Marquette had the advantage from an efficiency standpoint they had energy from the home crowd it's just like there were too many things in their favor that if you're going to hold them in check offensively, you have to have multiple hitters going at the same time. And Creighton really didn't have, I don't know, any. Like, I think Kiara Reinhardt was at 200, and everyone yeah. else was below that. So you don't really have, you know, just like across the board, you don't really have anyone who's feeling like, okay, it's my night, give me the ball kind of thing. Everyone was kind of below that 200 clip um, and not really, you know, every time it was termination error, termination error, it was like kind of a back and forth type of deal. And when that's going on, you really don't know where you're supposed to go offensively because you're kind of just trying to get someone clicking, right? Like at that point, you're just kind of like, you're guessing as much as the defense is, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, they were a little bit riddled with errors at times too. So at that point, it's like, okay, she had a great swing and then it's an error, that sort of thing. So I feel like it was hard for Crane sometimes to get into that momentum. And like you said, to have that player that's, more like in the zone, I guess, you know, sometimes you have a player that's like, yep, she's, you know, just getting kills at will, essentially the defense can't stop her, but they didn't really have that, you know, as you hinted at, like they didn't have somebody that's okay. They got a good kill, but then Marquette could make an adjustment or they'd get a touch on it on the block. It just wasn't Mm -hmm. easy for Creighton. And I think that's a big theme of this. Like Marquette didn't make it easy for Creighton and that's why they won in this match. Yeah, for sure. Endgame was a, I mean, we talked about it, was a big factor in the way this one went. And honestly, the reason I said Creighton's going to kind of beat themselves up if they think back on this one and, and you know, if they watch the film back on Volumetric and kind of just try to figure out why that one went into the loss column, it doesn't really, I mean, just find 20, find 20, 5.20 and then move on from, look at, look at the rest of the match from there, the rest of the set from there because... It was a lot of errors and a variety of errors. Uh, Marquette outscored Creighton 17 to 11 overall in the three sets in endgame. So it's not a crazy huge number. Um 17's a lot, but it's not like an overwhelming number, I guess. 
But when you look at the amount of points that Creighton gave Marquette without Marquette having to earn anything really, um, that's where you're going to be like, oh, wow. Uh, 12 of those 17 points were on errors. And I, I charted them like I went back and watched. There were five service errors for Creighton. So that's basically just three points right there. Uh, three reception errors. So I guess you can kind of credit a good serve there, but not when you watch it. Like there's, you know, there's a lot of indecisiveness in serve receive. And I think that's what led to most of their aces. So those are like kind of troubling. It's different if you just like nail a seam on an in-between ball and it barely gets lined and you're like, all right, tip your cap to the server. They hit their serve there. But like when it's hitting you in the chest or when you're kind of getting caught in between and not really communicating quickly enough, that's more of a reception error than it is like a great serve type of thing. So there were three of those. There were three unforced attack errors on relatively like in system type of plays where you have an opportunity to put the ball down. You just kind of miss your, miss your swing. And then there was one, which I put into like a miscellaneous dig error category, which is like a very fickle category, but it was a ball that went in front of the 10 foot line and like, I'm not really sure whose ball it was. And I don't think Creighton's sure whose ball it was either. Like to this day, like Kiana could have dug it, but she kind of like, I don't know if she got called off or if she froze and then the, and then Ellie had to make a last second attempt at it or if Ellie called her off and just didn't get to it. But either way, uh, that ball was diggable and it didn't get up. It ended up being a point for Marquette. So that's 71% of Marquette's end game points were given to them. That's, I mean, that's hard to, that's hard to fathom, right? You know? Yeah, it's, it's frustrating. I think when you play, I mean, you play sets obviously close and they're competitive. And then I think it's frustrating to get to that point of, okay, it's end game. And where does that switch happen? I think that's an interesting part of like, what's happening. We're going back and forth, back and forth. And then do we get tied at end game? I mean, a lot of those errors, like you said, the ball that dropped basically between a middle blocker and a back row player, that's a communication thing. That's just early communication, the serving, in the scenes, like you said, they weren't dialing them down, you know, and they were just clipping the line like that, you know, tip your cap, obviously, but they were just balls that are kind of floated in between people and they're not communicating early enough to know who's going to take the ball. So yeah, it's those sorts of things of, okay, do we need to have a different mindset when we're at 2020, you know, does something need to change here? Cause I mean, what happened, right? We laid the groundwork for us to play in this game, be close in this game, be competitive, essentially win the set, and then you get to 20 all, and it's, oh, no, like, what's happening, right? And that's the part that's a little bit confusing, just watching it. Mm -hmm. Well, because Creighton was up 28-18 and won, and and they fought back from down 20-16 and two to tie at 20-20. So basically, end game was like flip a coin. Here we go. Like it's go. It, you know, it's it's time to take the match, right? Like time to take the set. And that's typically in this matchup in this series. That's been like where Creighton owns people because you know they're aggressive, they're confident, they have you know that like this is ours to take, not you know we're trying to hope you lose it kind of thing. And I think that's what like I think that's like a little bit of Creighton's maybe identity crisis now without Norris Sis is like, you don't have that. You don't have that player that you just know is going to get you, is going to put the ball down or is going to make a pass or is going to be there on time with her blocks and th- or nail serves. Like that's, you miss that. So everyone else that's on the floor has to elevate their level of play at end game because she's not there. 
And I think that's where Creighton's missed her a lot is because she's so reliable in those situations. And when you lose that, you're like, okay, who's going to step up and be that player for us, you know? So to that degree, I think that's where Creighton probably looks back at this one and goes, you know, that thing was there for the taking. Last year's Marquette match was not competitive. Like Marquette played really great volleyball and Creighton didn't. You know what I mean? This one was different. This one, Creighton could have won this match. They just didn't make the plays at the end. And Marquette did. Like, you know, it. you want to give Marquette credit you want to give Marquette credit for not making mistakes at Endgame, so they they deserve credit for winning what they did. But if you're Creighton, like you feel like you could have taken that and didn't, you know what I mean? That's where you feel like something was missing there, and it was something that Kirsten said, uh, Kirsten Bernthal Booth said, like over the weekend was, I just want them to have the mindset of like, she didn't say fearlessness, but she said she wanted them to think about like what's the worst that happens if you fail. Like, you lose. You know what I mean? But you want to go for it. You know what I mean? Like, you want to be... You don't want to lose and not, like, say that was your best effort at that point. Because that that hurts more, doesn't it? Because then you lose and you say you could have done more. If you go for it and, you know, put it all out there and, like, make a good, hard, aggressive, tough play and it just doesn't work out, like the ball bounces the wrong way and things like that, that happens. You can live with that. So, like, I think that's kind of, like, the lesson this team is trying to solidify right now is like, how do you, how do you consistently be the type of team that does not live with the result? Like just go out there, play volleyball, you know, be aggressive, go for it. And then the results will be what they are. You know what I mean? We talked about that two podcasts ago too, you know, like that's kind of the mindset, you know? It is for sure. I think, yeah, you're spot on there. I think, obviously and it shows at end game and I think that's why this was an interesting match for me is like they're competitive they're going for it and obviously the error so it's that it's that balance between we have to be smart but we have to be aggressive we can't just errantly you know swing for high hands and just pray to god that she's somebody's gonna throw a hand up right like that's not being smart but just when you have the approach you're aggressive and you go for it and you you can hit edges of the block or you find a seam that sort of thing just like being aggressive with whatever you're doing i think that's what they missed a little bit i mean and obviously they're going for it and you make an error okay if we have another chance like can we be a little bit better and i think that's things just stacked up for them at end game and it was errors errors you know just communication things too those sorts of things you don't want to see at end game because I mean, that's not really physical. That's just mental, right? It's just your voice and mentally thinking about who's in the best position to take a ball or, you know, pass this ball, who shouldn't be passing this ball, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I just think it's it's frustrating. But like you said, you have to have the mindset of going out and taking it. And, I mean, Kirsten's point is spot on too, like not living in fear of making a mistake because really what's going to happen to you if you lose the game you lose the game right mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter I mean you're going to move on you're in conference play like this is a point in season where you have to figure out things about yourself and your team um especially I mean the stakes are high right like you're in conference play you're playing a game but at the end of the day it it doesn't matter right because you have to learn your team has to get better and that's the way that they have to get better is learning that mindset of we have to go take the game. We have to, you know, impose our will on a team. We can't sit there and wait for a team to make mistakes. Yeah. I mean, like chance favors the bold, like you're playing 75 to a hundred point matches. 
you know, odds are the aggressive team is going to win more of those. You know what I mean? It's just like that's just that's if you work it out like that, if you're if you're if you're hoping the other team loses the match for you, you're probably in a bad situation. Like you're going to find yourself struggling to close out sets. You're going to find yourself struggling to, you know, finish matches. And honestly, to your point that you just made right now about this point of the season and what you're working toward. If you get to, you know, November and it's time to win like a conference title, you're playing conference tournaments, NCAA tournaments, you're going to run into less and less or fewer and fewer teams that are going to give you points. You have to earn stuff like that's you have to earn your victories. So you might as well just be brave and daring and go for it. And I you're, you're spot on with like some of the errors you live with because are the errors of aggression and to Creighton's credit. They didn't tip it all at end game against Marquette. So they were swinging hard. They were swinging after it. They were going after it. So you could probably live with the three unforced attackers they had where it just like you missed the hands or you missed the line. You know what I mean? That's fine. Like, I, I don't think Creighton had any swings that were just like, you know, she like they choked. You know what I mean? Like they barely missed them. And but that but it was the variety of errors that you that you want back. Like when you hit the net on a serve. You're not giving Marquette a chance to screw that up. You're just giving them a point right there. You know what I mean? You're not giving them a chance to to shake a pass on a ball that's like hitting the seam, maybe to the line, and they're not quite sure. So they just like react late and shank it, and it's an ace, or they're out of system. So those are the type of points like, you know, there's some errors you can live with because the mindset behind it, the mentality behind it was there, and the intention behind it was there. At Endgame against Marquette on Friday, there were not enough of those. It was it was a lot of like, kind of like we talked about. There was a, it looked like there was a little bit of a fear behind the approach, and it's hard to beat a team as good as Marquette when when you're kind of just hoping they screw up as opposed to just trying to trying to go out there and take it. You know. Yeah, and I think I mean the bad part about it too is as much as you're digging yourself a hole, you're taking the pressure off of Marquette. And so you see Marquette relax a little bit. Okay, here's an error. You know, here's another one that was pretty easy to dig. Then we transition, got a kill. I mean, when they get into kind of that groove um, at endgame too, when you have the energy, you have the momentum, I think it just takes pressure off of Marquette. And then they start playing looser. And then on the flip side of that, Creighton starts getting a little bit tighter. And you see some of those errors that you hadn't seen earlier in the game. And it happens quick in volleyball, you know, right? Like. You yeah. could be you, you could be cruising, and then all of a sudden, like you make a mistake, you let the team off a hook, they get a deep breath, you tighten up a little bit, and then the match changes. Like that, it happens quick in volleyball, right? Oh yeah, I mean it can happen. Obviously, within like two three points of just stringing a couple points together, or you get back to back aces, you know, or something like that, and back to back blocks, big blocks. Like those things are just momentum swingers, and when you stack a couple of those on top of each other, especially in a game that has a lot of juice behind it, right? Like typically, yep. like this is a game that players come out and they're amps ready to go for. So I think that part of it too is when you feel that energy and you have that energy behind you, it's really easy to let that momentum like keep propelling you forward. Yeah. So credit to Creighton, they bounce back the next night. And honestly, you know something we didn't talk about at all on this podcast and it just like kind of, I don't know, dawned on me as I look at the uh, the schedule for the Big East. Um, first of all, Marquette's slate is a little bit, little bit easier than Creighton, so that's tough because if you want like a true regular season champ, 
and you're not doing double round robin, you'd hope that like the slate would at least be the same for your two perennial favorites, right? But it's not. Um, Marquette does not have to go at Marquette does not get Xavier and Butler twice. They get UConn and Providence twice, or four times overall. And if you're not paying attention, UConn and Providence are probably the two worst teams in the Big East this year. Um, so Creighton gets those two teams just once each, and it's on the road, and they get uh, Xavier Butler, um home and home. So the the climb to the 10th straight regular season title was tough before it even started. The other part of it that's kind of like working against Creighton here a little bit is, and I don't know why it was set up like this, but it's kind of crazy that they have to go through it, is the second team they play every weekend is always going to have two to three days off before they play Creighton. And Creighton's usually going to have, either they're either going to play the night before or they're going to have a day off in between I think they get days off in between um, at home. Mm-hmm. And then when they're on the road, they go Friday, Saturday. So on the road, it's even harder. They're going from one location to another. And they're the second time they play, they're going to play a team that either has two days off or, or, or a day off in between. So that's going to be tough. Honestly, I hate to say it right now on October, what, 8th? What What is that right now? Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of feels like the Big East regular season title race might be over already. Um, Just because I don't know where Marquette loses to... I mean, I know where they lose one. It's Omaha, right? Like, Creighton can get them in the return match. Um, I don't know where they lose two. I just don't don't know where on the schedule... The level they're playing at and the way the Big East kind of shakes out right now. Like, Creighton... Marquette has to go to Xavier. They have to go to Butler, so maybe they're... um, But it's... It might be tough. So, um, right now, I think Creighton's focus probably just forget the Big East regular season title for now and just kind of like go week to week and try to be a better version of yourself than you were the week before, you know, and and see how everything shakes out at the end. And I think that's what Creighton did on on Saturday. Like, I think they were a better version of the team that played Marquette on Friday. Like, obviously, DePaul was rested. And they've got some firepower, and they are an up and down team, but they are capable of like playing to Creighton's level and beating Creighton. So it was going to be a tough challenge for the Jays. And uh, you know, the way the match played out too, it, it was it was coin toss mode for all three sets, right? Like, you know, um, I think Nepal could have easily won the first two, just like Creighton did, and they were cruising in three before Creighton ripped it away from him. So. I think the Jays deserve a lot of credit for the way they not only bounce back from, you know, they're not stupid. They know how much that Marquette match meant, right? Like they know what it meant for the, for their goals of winning that regular season. Um, so they were probably disappointed. So for the, for them to bounce back quickly, like 24 hours later and go win a tough road match uh, against a team that's capable of beating them. I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. I think they showed a lot of resolve, you know, because they weren't, it wasn't the cleanest match in the world. It's not like they showed up and hit like 480 or something and just cruised. Like they had to grind, they had to dig deep, they had to find a way to score points in different ways. And I think we saw a lot of players like step up in different moments in that match too and make plays like take the match, take the set, take the point. Um, that wasn't maybe there against Marquette. And I think Creighton, even though it's just a Paul and even though it's not going to be have a lot of notoriety to it, I think Creighton deserves you know a lot of credit for the way they bounce back and the way they kind of you know, salvage the weekend in a, in a sense. 
Yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, Obviously, you know, Creighton to them this weekend, the biggest match was DePaul. Because if you lose to DePaul, that ruins your RPI, you know. And that's you were so, so, you were indoctrinated beyond belief. That's I, what yeah, I'm so trained. I've got this whole spiel down. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously to bounce back was a big deal. And to play the night before in an emotional game at Marquette, you know, in a good environment against a really good team, is it's hard to just flip that switch of, okay, tomorrow we go and play DePaul and we have to be laser focused on beating DePaul. So, yeah, I think, I mean, credit to them for bouncing back, figuring it out. Um, DePaul did play them close, I thought, and DePaul, you know, was competitive and that sort of thing. So, it was good for them, I think, too, to just have that quick mindset. Sometimes it's better to not have to sit there and think for a long time about what could we have done better, you know, what went well, wrong. Yeah. Kind of mm-hmm. thing. Just have an opportunity to be like, okay, we get to play tomorrow. Let's be better. Let's play better. Let's feel a little bit better about how he played and get a win. What's Kirsten's rule? Like 10 minutes, 15 minutes? How, much, how long do you get to think about stuff? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like 15 minutes or less. Think about it and get on the bus and drive down to Chicago. So I'm yeah. sure that was not a very happy bus ride. <laughs> no, no doubt. Probably not. Uh, <laughs> just uh, compare and contrast, though. We talked about Endgame and the amount of points they gave Marquette, right? Or they may, I should say not gave Marquette. They gave, I mean, the amount of points Marquette didn't have to earn at Endgame. Uh, against DePaul, they only made six of those. So, and I think it was, yeah, there were, it was like one in each category. So, you know, half of DePaul's points at Endgame, they outscored DePaul 21-12 at Endgame um, on Saturday. And only six of those points were given to DePaul. So they made DePaul earn points. You know what I mean? So that's that was that's the name of the game, right? Like, can you execute? Can you score? And can you make the other team have to earn their way out of, like, your runs? Um, th- that's what they didn't do on Friday. Uh, they made it easier for Marquette. They did not make it easier for DePaul. So right there, like, big difference in in terms of, like, how they how they executed in the – you know, in the highest pressure situation right there. Did you notice anything uh, different in in those aspects? Like, or did you just see, like, more of what you expect from Creighton Volleyball at Endgame when there's a set to be one, go in it kind of thing? Yeah, I think it just looked a little bit more, like, smooth, right? A little bit more clean as far as, like, pass that hit, like, get the point, right? Side out and just, like, be aggressive at Endgame. Um, I thought people stepped up at Endgame too. I don't think I noticed quite as much like miscommunication and that sort of thing. That's more like mental at Endgame um, on Creighton side of the net. So I thought people took charge and um, were just aggressive. Even passers aggressive with their feet and Kendra making really good um, sets at Endgame of okay, who's our best bet here? Um, so yeah, I just thought it was a little bit cleaner maybe at Endgame. This is just the only thing I really noticed. Uh, how about Kiana Schmidt? Um, hit 412, 10 kills on 17 attempts. However, it's the when that these kills happen that I kind of want to highlight here. Uh, she obviously got the set, set clinching kill in one and the set clinching kill in three. So right there, she put two games away with just like hard aggressive swings, going after hands, doing her thing on the on the slide. But uh, set two was where we got a variety of like, I don't know. I call it FU mode. We're just like a really great player, just like flips the switch and like it. It just like I don't know if I've explained it on this pod before or not. So I probably should just restart it. But like where a great player just says, "I'm taking over," and there's nothing any of you on the other end can do to stop me. 
And I think that's what set two looked like to me. You know, I call it FU mode, but we'll clean it up for the volleyball fans. Um, but I mean, she got a kill out of like a quick set in the middle, right? Off hands. Creighton had to review it because um, the officiating was a calamity that night. But uh, they got the overturn um, to keep the set alive. That was 26-26. She saved set point there. And then two straight on the slide. I think she went down line one and then off hands on the next one. Uh, so three straight kills when Creighton was down to set point, you know, and DePaul needed one to win it uh, just to put it away and put Creighton up 2-0 at the, at the break. Like, just a big-time player, man. I mean, like, I don't even know what to say at this point. Uh, you know, but if you go 1-1 and you've already lost a tough one the night before, who knows what your psyche looks like at that point, you know? Like, who knows what Creighton's confidence looks like if they drop one and give DePaul confidence in their own gym. So I don't know, like, it may have been bigger than I'm even making it right now, but she's just clutch, cl- as clutch as you can be. And for f- for half of her kills to come when it's time to put the game away, I mean, that's what you want out of your senior. That's what you want out of your captain. And she did all those things for Creighton. Like, when you're looking for a steady Eddie, Miss Reliable, who's going to put the ball away when we need to finish these things off, Kiana's like, I'm that person. Give me the ball. Let's go home, you know. Yeah, I mean, like you said, she had swings at really big times, and she was aggressive. I mean, she continued to swing high and swing smart. I think that's a big thing for me at end game of she's not trying to swing low into the block, right? She's just doing the same thing, and um, it just happened to get set to her right at the end game. And I think, I mean, that's why, right? Kendra's like, who can I set here? Because yeah. Kiana's going to make really smart swings. She's going to be aggressive. And she is that senior, you know, voice on the team. I mean, she's a fifth-year senior, so at this point, I mean, she's been in situations like this. So I think she's that reliable person. And obviously, I mean, against Marquette, she didn't have her best game. I think she hit zero. Um, so coming back, I'm sure she's just ready to go. And she's like, I, I can play better. I can be more aggressive. You know, it's those games where you kind of bounce back and you're like, man, I don't feel good about how I played. And then the next night, she just goes off. So I just thought that was really fun to see. It was great to see because if you're if you're in that position, like you have to bounce, you know what I mean? Like, especially if you're a senior, like you can't feel bad for yourself because everyone else around you is younger and less experienced than you. And they're probably more likely to feel bad for themselves and to let one performance become two. You, you, like as a senior, you don't you're not afforded that luxury. You have to bounce back like you have to be better than you were the day before. And you have to kind of carry a heavier load both from a you know physical standpoint and a psyche standpoint because everyone kind of follows your lead. So, and I think to the point you made, like, Kendra trusts her. So, you know, this team's trying to figure out who they are kind of without Nora right now, without Nora Sis. Like, Kendra knows that Keanu's going to put the ball down. So at end game, where'd she go? Every single time, you know? She's like, Keanu's our, Keanu's our dog right now. Like, she's going to get us the kills we need. Put these to put these sets away to give it get us on get us on the right side of the scoreboard and that's where she went and that's what Kiana did so big time credit to Kiana because you know those kills were big time they like Creighton needed every single one of them and uh, you know she didn't flinch she just said set me up I'm gonna put it down I'm gonna find a way to put it down and and she did so major props but uh this match had a lot of people I thought stepped up like I I don't know how the coaching staff feels about this one. And I don't know how you as a former player feels about this one. Cause it's just a Paul and it was like, you know, a mostly competitive match. Um, so it wasn't like you, I mean, Creighton's gone into DePaul's gym and just waxed them like 
more times than I can count. So it's not like something that you're going to be like, you know, hanging your hat on um, for a season. But I just thought so many people made plays in big moments. And I think that's just a sign of like, I don't know, maybe it's a sign of nothing. It might be a sign of nothing, but I think it's a sign of something. And I'm not quite sure what it is yet, but I just think what Creighton's going through right now and kind of being up and down, they're not used to being four and two in Biggie's play. You know what I'm saying? They're like, they've run the table before, like multiple times. Like, I don't even know if it takes two years for Creighton to lose two Big East matches, you know? And to be three and two in conference play, like, I, I just imagine like they're going through something they haven't gone through very often and they're trying to figure out, like, who are we right now? Are we really that good? Like, what are we capable of? Like, all those normal thoughts that athletes go through, I, you know, and that Creighton's volleyball program has kind of been immune to for the better part of a decade. Like, I think they're starting to, like, feel it more. So that's why I'm maybe looking at these performances, how many individuals stepped up in this moment in these high-pressure situations and delivered as possibly having a bigger ripple effect than it normally would on a random Saturday in early October in Chicago, you know? But to start, I want to start with Audrey Clark because end of game one, it's tight. Creighton's in control, but it's tight. She comes in as a serving specialist for Destiny and Dom Simpson. So you're right now you're taking one of your basically one of your only remaining players that can put the ball down off the floor, and you're putting in a true freshman backup setter. And she nails her serves. She gets a crazy good dig um, on a ball that easily could have gone down for a DePaul point for a DePaul kill, and it led straight to a. I mean, it wasn't even like I don't even think Kendra said it. I think the dig went straight to Ava and she just killed it. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was a quick transition. I don't even know if it was a three-contact play. I think it was just dig, kill. Um, so I want to give props to Ava or to uh, Audrey Clark for coming in in a high-pressure situation, nailing serves, taking deep breaths, you know, doing what she does, executing and making plays defensively when the ball came at her and allowing Creighton to kind of get 1-0 up on DePaul and, you know, take a deep breath a little bit and, and kind of settle in, you know, like that's, that's big time for a freshman. Yeah, that's big time. And I think, I mean, that's a point of emphasis for Kirsten too, just trying to get players experience in those types of situations where they feel a pressure and it's big time, you know, matches where you need a win, you need a point and just throwing people in that can make impacts. And even if she doesn't, you know, have a full-time starting role on the team, you know, a year or two down the road, maybe she's the starting setter and that is going to hopefully pay dividends for her. Yeah. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is uh, Kiara Reinhardt because I think this was by far her best match of the season, not just statistically, but performance-wise. And, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it just looks like she had her confidence back today. Like, everything she was doing was assertive. Her block touches were assertive. You know, her serves were assertive. Her her swings were assertive. Like, she wasn't – it just didn't look like she was thinking about that. It was like she was playing her game, playing volleyball. And I thought she took over – I thought she took over set three. Like, you know, she got a kill. She had five blocks, which is crazy for one set. Um, but it wasn't just five ace blocks. Like, she was getting touches all over the place. Like, DePaul's hitters could not get the ball by her. And when they did, it was they were trying so hard to avoid her hands that they just it, like sent it into the into the stands, you know, uh, where it's no chance for a Creighton DS to have to think about, you know, having to get it up. You know, it's just easy point. Um, 
I don't know, just like a big time performance for Kiara. And it looked like, you know, freshman year Kiara, like where she was, you know, looking like that player where you can set her, you know, you can set her in the middle of the floor and, you know, she's going to take a good, hard, aggressive swing and put the ball down at, you know, a 40 to 50 percent clip. And uh, and then when you look at her blocking, like all those blocks were just. They had some move behind them, right? Like the kind of blocks you talk about, Meg, where you where your team feels the momentum from it and the other team feels like oh dang that was that was bad you know it's like sapping our confidence you know those type of blocks yeah for sure yeah she had her hands in a lot of those like momentum swinging plays I thought which was just fun to see and I really like the addition of her I mean this is I think this will be the fourth match that she played at like true middle blocker position this year for Creighton so because we obviously we didn't talk about it last weekend but um yeah, I just really like the addition of her in that middle slot. Obviously, she's super confident there. And by them putting, you know, Kiana and Anne-Marie Remis on that right side for a couple of rotations, they just then transition and hit slides as if they were the middle. And then she yeah. can run straight up the middle, which is a little bit of a different approach than we've seen this year. But I think it's working. And I think that's that probably is your best option offensively, just from what we've seen all the different people in that right side slot, then moving around and just trying to see who works best. But she's just taken over that middle slot. And I mean, rightfully so she has a lot of experience in that area. And I mean, for me, like a lot of the things that I like about her are the intangible things of just like her energy um kind of her fire like she gets a big block and then she turns around and she just is so energetic and I think they need somebody on their team that's going to do that I think her and Ellie Bolton are kind of my like energy bunny type of players for Creighton and so I think Mm -hmm. when she comes in she can provide that spark and then I mean back it up with offense and big blocks yeah and I mean yeah 100% like there's not a there's not a box you didn't check there I mean it's just different it's different energy when Kiara makes a play you know like it's you know sometimes some other people make a plays and it's like all right you get the huddle and you're you're confident you're smiling you're doing all the things from a positivity standpoint that you need to reinforce the next point right Kiara's like you know like goddamn right we just won that point let's go get another one you know like it's just a different energy you know what I mean when she makes a play like it's just it's like all right let's go get another one now let's be selfish about this stuff you know like I think that's the type of energy uh she has and the one you're talking about there but like yeah, what's the from a pattern standpoint offensively when you're talking about like Kiana and Amory being like right side attackers uh in a non-traditional sense where they can kind of run those slides like they're usually good at and then having Kiara be like that traditional middle that can you know put down a quick ball and and you know be a force at the net cuz she had I mean even against Marquette she had some solo blocks in the middle of the net that just like you can't really I mean you can teach that, but executing it takes a special player, right? Um, but like offensively, what does Creighton look like when you have those three, you know, capable of playing together at the same time? Yeah, I just think I mean, instinctually, I think Kiara plays that middle position really well. So I just think, I mean, right now I think they're playing to strengths of players, um, yeah. which is great to see. Obviously, you want to. Um but I think the big issue for them, obviously, the beginning of the season and up until recently, especially, was getting right side production consistently of somebody who can be really aggressive, take big swings on the right side. And there were some games, you know, that people came in and had a lot of efficiency, but it wasn't consistent. And for them, the thing that scores is the slide, right? I think Anne Marie yeah. and Kiana 
they just score so well on the slide and it's so hard to stop for defenses. And so they're like, how can we play to that strength all the time, right? Or more consistently. So mm -hmm. just by having a true middle in the middle of the court and then by having a middle right side, I guess you'd call it, but somebody yeah. that can just transition back and run a slide as if they were in the middle position, I think was probably the best option. So it just creates, I mean, chaos. I mean, you have people too that can switch around. I know like when I played middle, I'd play next to Marissa Wilkinson and we could switch back and forth based on who wants to block the middle right here or, you know, who needs to go up against this person? Okay, who should we have on the right side? I So I think it just gives you the ability to shuffle people around because not all right sides are trained as middles, but middles typically yeah. can play that right side position or run slides and that sort of thing. Well, plus it, it gives... I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but like it gives Creighton more of like a true balance across the net, doesn't it? Because while while Ava and Destiny, you know, aren't Nora, they both can terminate on the left pin and they both can terminate on the back row, right? So there's your traditional, you know, outsides, right? Your your L's, you know, and then in the middle, where if you tried to plug in a right side or tried to make Kiara a right side, like they've tried multiple people on that right side throughout the season, right? And they've let Kiana or Kiana and Anne Marie be the traditional middles, you know, but they didn't really set middle of the net very much with those mm -hmm. with Kiana and Anne Marie. It was always them coming from the middle and hitting the slide. So you can do that with them on the right side, right? While having a true traditional middle who's able to terminate that one uh, out of the middle of the net, right? Like that Kiara can. So it gives you like a true balanced offense across the net, doesn't it? With when you have. You know, Kiara as that MB1, and then Kiana and uh, Anne Marie, either one of them as like MB2 right side, right? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, it just gives you more options, obviously. Um, as far as like being out of system, it'll be interesting to see if they get more comfortable setting, you know, those middles on like higher balls to the pen too, out of system, because I think that's something that could be expanded on a little bit more but as far as having consistent like spread offense I think just having that person to run a slide all the time and then having an outside option it's kind of like the best of both worlds just with the personnel that you have because I think Kendra Waite especially we've talked about it I think her strengths more or less are pushing pin to pin and not as much of like firing in really fast sets to a middle and so just from that standpoint of like, who do we have that's really efficient to attack and where can we set them, but play to the strengths of everybody. So with a slide attack, I think you're doing that for both Anne-Marie and Kiara. Yeah. And the other thing about Kiara too, that I didn't mention was like, you know, late in three, she nailed a couple serves uh, and she had a, you know, she had a nice bump set for a destiny kill. Like, I just think she, you know, when you talk about just being like a volleyball player and, you know, just going for it and letting your skills do the talking and not worrying about results, like it looked like Kiara was just out there kind of setting the tone in that regard. Like she was doing everything. Um, I thought she just had an impact in several different areas that you it, it might not always show up on the stat sheet because touches don't show up or, you know, an, an assist doesn't it looks like an assist. You don't really know what it was, but. You know, that bump set, bump sets are not easy. You know that. And for a middle, like, put a bump set right where the pin wants it and for her to get, a, like, a, you know, a kill down the line off that thing, like, that's pretty impressive, I think. And then, obviously, she's got a very unique serve where she basically goes to the back of the gym and, and lets it rip. Um, but she got to, she got to pull out a system light for it with that. Like, um, I just thought it was her best match across the board, statistically and 
you know, when you just kind of zero in on the performance and look at, you know, how confident she looks and how many different areas she's kind of impacting. Um, Destiny and Adam Simpson also went banana balls uh, in set three. Uh, you know, one of the weird, a very weird set offensively for Creighton. They had one kill, one kill on the first 20 rallies. I that's not a Creighton offense I have ever seen before. Um, I I don't know how you can manage to win a set when you have one kill on your first twenty rallies, without the other team just kind of handing you points with like six service errors and a bunch of like you know attack errors. But like DePaul was you know north of two hundred, they were in the they were in the positive. Um, so they got off to a good lead, and Creighton was really struggling offensively. And then after that 20th rally, the flip switched, or the switch flipped. Which one am I saying? Yeah, I always get that wrong. Uh, but Creighton had 10 kills on 13 swings the rest of the set. No errors. Just an absolutely absurd termination rate for a whole team. And DePaul was in the negative. Um, and I think Destiny to Dom Simpson was a big part of that because on those... After, after it was 13-7 DePaul, she had seven kills on eight swings with no errors the rest of the set. Just... That's what it, that's what it looks like when a pin takes over, and that's kind of what you're missing when you don't have like a Nora Sis because she's capable, or a Jayla Zimmerman, you know, that are just capable of going on absurd heaters where they get like eight kills on eleven swings and have one or zero errors, and it's just like wow, their team feels like they just can't do anything to stop them. Destiny was that player. I mean, she was she was hitting line, she was hitting donut, she was tipping, she was swinging hard. Like she threw a lot of different shots at DePaul, and DePaul couldn't get any of them up. Uh, and you know, offensively, she was really like the all right, get on my back, let's go, let's get this sweep done and go home. You know. Yeah, I thought she had a really impressive run in there, and that's probably the best you know set of points I think to look at for her of this season so far of being super efficient but being really smart. And so that was fun to see. I mean, obviously we've seen her bring the power and we know she has a really heavy arm and can blast people and just make it so they can't dig. But what makes really good outsides, you know, elite is when they can have all the shots and get defenses moving to adjust to one thing and then drop a ball in short or tip or roll and that sort of stuff. So that was a really good sample size, I think, of hopefully how she can continue to get better and, you know, make that consistent. And that's been the struggle for her this season of being consistent and minimizing errors. And so at times she's been high error, but she continues to learn. And I think that's a good sample of, Hey, I'm learning how to do this stuff. I just can't quite do it consistently all the time. And then one thing she translated from, I think pretty well from Saturday to Friday was, you know, I think Friday there was a couple instances where she didn't quite close up that line on her blocking as well as maybe she should have. And then I think on Saturday, she did a much better job of it. I think her and Kiara were a tough, like a mm -hmm. tough wall to hit around and to get kills off of, you know, for DePaul. So, you know, especially as the set, as the match wore on, like Creighton's block touches, I think they had 25 of their 30 block touches were in the last two games. So they really started to figure out tendencies. They started to get DePaul out of system more with their serving. And they started to just build walls around DePaul's like main key cogs. And, uh, you know, I thought Destiny was a big part of that. She got a lot of touches. I think she ended up with three or four blocks for the night. So, you know, it wasn't just a, a great night offensively from an efficiency standpoint. I thought her blocking got better from Friday to Saturday, too. Like, I think she was just a lot more crisp with her technique and getting her 
you know, just getting those those walls built up with Kiara and Kiana and just making it tough for, for DePaul to put the ball down and get the ball around it. Yeah, I thought she did a nice job. Like you said, the block touches obviously aren't statted all the time, um, but they, they were huge in this game. Just slow fall down because DePaul does, you know, have some good options across the net. They're not super one-dimensional, um, so it makes them difficult. And just to get, you know, blockers getting hands in front of them and making them think about it. I mean, we kind of alluded to that earlier, but Kiara was a force up there. And, uh, you know, at times DePaul's like questioning like, oh, like I can't hit into this girl. Where am I going to hit? And then they make an error or, you know, they throw it over easily and that sort of stuff. So those things don't always show up, but it's super important of just almost getting in the head of the offensive players for DePaul having to overthink what they're going to do offensively. And then the other one I want to highlight is Ava Martin because uh, she went back behind the line in set three at 16-11. And if you ever want to see someone take over a match from the service line, because it doesn't, you know, that's one of those things where like volleyball players know it, like coaches know it. And then just like a few, a subset of like informed volleyball people know what it looks like. But other than that, you're just like, well, how many aces they have, how many errors they have. That's kind of like the stat that shows up on the sheet, right? But Ava went back there. And she served up 10 balls when Aaron Creighton was down 16 to 11. And five of them, uh, DePaul had to set behind the 10-foot line, so the pass was horrible. And three of them were bump sets. So even when they got it in front of the 10-foot line, it was so kind of like errant from a trajectory standpoint that the setter had no choice but to just pop it up and hope someone could put it down. And then there was one that was super tight to the net that, was so tight to the net that all she could do was all the setter could do was kind of back set it to uh, I think her right side hitter and her right side hitter had to just like underhand it into the net for a point for Creighton. And then the other one was super tight to the net. Uh, so tight that Kiara just tapped it down for an easy point for Creighton. So like that was a 10 point or a 10 stretch serving run right there that completely changed the complexion of set three. She got DePaul's offense way out of sync, way off schedule made everything super predictable for Creighton's blockers and DePaul setter was running for her life, you know, trying to just get her offense, anything clean they could put down. So Ava was locked in, which is crazy because when you look at Ava Martin's not to go on and to rip some time away from here, but when you look at Ava Martin's uh, kind of like career arc, if you will, she came into the season as a dynamic pin hitter, right? But you probably were like, okay, what is she as a passer? What is she as a defender? What is she as a blocker? What is she as a server? And in this kind of 11-match stretch, I think it is now without Nora, honestly, I think like her serving and her passing has maybe caught up to her offense like quicker than I thought it maybe could, right? Because she's getting a lot more confident and a lot more reliable behind the line. And I'm not sure if she might be Creighton's best passer right now or at least most consistent. Like, she puts the ball, as you say, right on Kendra's head a lot. You know what I mean? So for someone who's dealing with first contacts a lot as a, as a hitter, uh, she's kind of, you know, kind of blossoming into a full six rotation, six rotation stud right before her eyes, kind of. Yeah, I agree. And I think she is Creighton's best passer right now. That was the point I was going to bring up as well. Um, but I just think she's doing things at a really high level. I mean putting passes on the net to be an option and then serving. I mean, 
obviously this was a huge serving run for Creighton and they were down 16 10 and honestly it didn't even feel like they had any momentum early in this set at all I thought DePaul's gonna run away with it because it just didn't seem like as much as Creighton was trying to claw their way out of the hole they dug they just couldn't really get anything going before she went behind went behind the line so she was huge obviously for the momentum um just of that said and yeah she's in there nailing serves nailing passes being an offensive option so she's really I think continued to get better and you know kind of Nora-esque Nora-sis like in that respect of being able to do everything and so it's it's good to see her just have the success of all those skills I mean and when she was asked to do it obviously she hadn't been doing that full-time this season so she's really stepped into that role and has continued to get better and better every single match. Yeah, sorry for stealing your thunder there. I didn't know you were going to mention it, but yeah, it no, just feels like okay. <laughs> it just feels like it just feels like she's, uh, you know, I don't know. She it's it's impressive the way she's answered the bell because when you lose a six rotation, you know, and we talked about it when it happened when Nora went down. It's like you're not just losing a hitter, you know, you're losing one of your best passers, you're losing one of your best servers, you're losing one of your best blockers, so you can't. It's hard to replace that in one person. You have to replace that kind of like by committee. And that's a challenge, right? When you have players who haven't done it yet and you're asking them to be those type of players, like which way does that go? Because if they struggle in the areas that you're asking them to elevate, that bleeds into the one thing they're good at and it affects that in a negative way. So I think it's, I think, you know, for Ava to go back behind the line and you're right, like it up to that point, it didn't feel like Creighton was doing anything that let you lended lended you to believe that momentum was about to shift. Because scoring points were a struggle all weekend, right? They were not efficient offensively. And you're down six. Like, so you can't go on runs, you can't terminate. How are you gonna dig out of a hole like that? Like what what changes? And then all of a sudden, Ava just nails serve after serve, gets to, I mean, scores points in all kinds of ways that don't give her credit for scoring points, you know? Like, she doesn't, she didn't get one ace in that whole run. Not one. So, that's a run where you look at the stat sheet and go, okay, Ava Martin was serving, but what was going on there? Because she didn't get any aces, so, like, she doesn't really get credit for that. But when you watch it, you're like, okay, that's behind the 10-foot line. That's behind the 10-foot line again. Oh, dang, DePaul's, didn't, that was a bump set, bump set. Oh, tight to the net, tight to the net. Like, their passing just could not handle her. And that's when you're like, okay, that person's just taking over right there without having to swing. She had to swing one time that whole set. And it didn't feel like Creighton even had to hard, hardly swing when she was doing that. All the points came easy, and it was all because of her serving. And that's crazy. So she took over. It was big time. Yeah, it was impressive. And I think, I mean, you talk about that a lot of times when you're on a service run and maybe you're you're two or three into it, right? And you're like, okay even though this is going well for me, I can't start trying to hit it harder, right? And driving this ball, like even more, you just have to continually hit the same aggressive serve. And she did that really well. It was a really good sample of 10 balls that she put in that she put in with good pace, but she didn't do anything different every time, if that makes sense. And I think up to that point too, DePaul, I mean, DePaul had eight aces on Creighton. So You know, it's just a lopsided match in that respect. Creighton had only two aces, five errors. DePaul, you know, got eight aces and six errors. I mean, because they were going after it. But I didn't think Creighton was passing all that well either. I thought there was a little bit of miscommunication. So for Ava to go back there and hit serves and Creighton not to have to receive a ball for a while, I think two was a good reset for them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the other part of this match was Jill Presley. You know, that's I think that's I don't know if you played against her. When did you, 2019 was your last year? She yeah. hasn't quite been in the league that long. She came when after you left, so you just missed her. Um, but she's been a stud, you know, for DePaul over the last four years. Uh, trying to think what her career numbers are at. I wrote it down somewhere. This thing's a mess. Oh, yeah. She's at 3.71 kills per set and hitting over 220 for her career against everyone except Creighton. Against Creighton, her kills per set are 3.32, and she's hitting under 100. And against the Jays on Saturday, she hit negative negative 095. She had 16 errors. So it was both a career high in errors and a career low in attack percentage. And it's also the second time that Creighton's held her to negative hitting. Um, it's only the second time in her career that's ever happened. So Creighton's got her number a little bit. And I think that's just kind of like a credit to not only scouting report, but execution of said scouting report, right? Like the Jays were locked in on a, the fact that she's stud and can take over a match and be, you know, getting DePaul out of system makes her predictable. And when you can, it makes you, I guess it allows them to identify tendencies a little bit quicker in real time. Isn't that what kind of like the whole basis is when you're trying to shut down a certain player? Like you want to serve certain sides of the court, hit certain seams, and then just kind of make their balls kind of predictable so you can line up your block, right? Yeah, a lot of times I think too on when you serve, I think you're going at those players to make them think about having to pass before they can go hit and setting up block, you know, your block to hopefully take away her favorite shot or, you know, just those sorts of things scouting wise of trying to make them go outside of what they're super comfortable doing. Um, So I thought they did that at times, just getting her to take on, you know, having to pass and do this and then taking away this shot and adjusting. So it's kind of that cat and mouse game of, okay, where is she going to hit? What can we take away? Has she adjusted? Can we adjust? And that just kind of continued. And they really contained her well, though. Yep. So next uh, up for Creighton, they, I think the schedule, if I'm being honest, gets a little, a fair bit lighter. Um, they have uh, Villanova, Georgetown, and UConn and Providence. They have Villanova, Georgetown four times in this stretch, and then UConn and Providence on the road. So right now, I think UConn and Providence are probably the two, excuse me, had a hiccup, two worst teams in the league at this point. I think Georgetown's playing better volleyball this year, and then Villanova is, you know, you just know Villanova's kind of up and down, but they'll be up for the Creighton match. So um, tough to a degree, but I think these next eight matches, you know, kind of give Creighton an opportunity or the next six matches, sorry, kind of give Creighton an opportunity to build some confidence in, like, who they are right now. And depending on, you know, how Nora Sis and Sidney Breisinger are progressing, depending on what their injuries look like at this point, you know, if you get through those six matches and start to play at a higher level gradually, then all of a sudden you jump into November and it's DePaul and Marquette at home in that first weekend of November and you know if you have either if, if if you have your options back and everybody's full go or if you've got everybody that's healthy now playing at a higher level than they were this first weekend they played Paul and Marquette you know we could see a different Creighton team by the time you get to that point and I think that's like your whole mantra right that you've talked about ad nauseum on this pod is like you know be better versions of yourself like day by day week by week month by month so the next time you see these teams they're not getting the same version that they saw the first time, right? So Creighton has an opportunity here to build that a little bit up 
in and next time DePaul and Marquette play them, they get different versions of the Jays, right? Yeah, and I think every team, you know, is, is hopefully getting better. That's the hope for everybody that you're getting better every time you practice, every time you play, and that sort of thing. So from when they played Marquette, you know, a couple of days ago to when they played them November 5th, you could be looking at some different things. You know, teams could be running different things. For Creighton, that could mean different personnel, but that could also mean we've figured out with the lineup. If the lineup is what they just played Marquette against, if that is what it is a month from now, they've probably grown in that too because, I mean, really they played that lineup, what, that was the third game that they had played with that lineup on the court. Um I guess Sydney Breisinger, too. I mean, that was different against Marquette. So, you know, there's been players in and out, and it's been a little bit different of a look and players trying to figure out how can we best help the team with who we have available. And that's always kind of the name of the game, especially when you're dealing with injuries. So hopefully they'll get better and figure things out. You know, you hope that you get Norris back and she's full go. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that's what you'd like to see. And um her injury to have happened this early in the season you know might actually end up being what's best versus you know if it came later in the season so you always have those sorts of things um but yeah everybody's going to get better hopefully and you could have a really competitive match you know at home against Marquette and that's what you hope that your team's ready to go and can figure things out scouting wise to hopefully get over the hump especially end game and those sorts of things that we talked about in that match you dive into the dynamics of what that's like for a player. I'm trying to figure out, um, trying to remember what your roles were like as you got into like being Mama Meg. Um, but I imagine for a player like, you know, before you become that steady Eddie, that kind of everybody knows what you're what to expect on the floor. I imagine for a player, especially some of these younger ones that are in, you know, just kind of getting their first taste of what this grind is like you know, figuring out who you are and what role you're in is probably a really hard just thing to navigate, right? Like, okay, I'm on the floor in this spot. What am I supposed to do here? Like, you know, to try to, as you morph into that player who's super reliable and everybody knows what to expect, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a process there. Yeah, I think there is a process. Obviously, I mean, this season is a really good example of people in different roles all the time, people having to accept, I'm going to start tonight. Oh no, I'm going to be on the bench for this, right? Because of how it maybe looks with a matchup or something like that. Um, But I think it's just, I mean, you have to approach every single day as I could be thrown out on the court anytime. You know, I have to be ready. I have to train really hard. I have to compete. And even people that have the starting spot, they have to compete like somebody's going to take it from them, right? And I think that's what makes competition really fun when you have a team that has people that can play in your position and compete. And um, yeah, this is just a good example of, of that, of, Hey, maybe you should play middle. Oh, nope. I want you on the right side today, or both of our middles are going to play some right side, that sort of thing. So just being able to kind of be fluid and learn everything, um, work really hard to be really well-rounded, I think. And then also the other part of that is when you're younger, can you communicate? I think a lot of times people come in and they're quiet and it's some of those like intangible things of bringing energy, being really loud, um, bringing that intensity um, to finish games and that sort of stuff. Those things too are really big for people um, to kind of grow into. I think when you're younger, especially just like communicating early, being loud. Can I be the loudest person on the court? Can I 
talk to my setter? Can I communicate with the blockers? You know, those sorts of things that maybe don't show up on paper, right? And on stats, but are super important. Yeah. And it's kind of wild. I don't know. Just off the top of my head, it feels like Ellie Bolton, Kendra Waite, Kiana Schmidt, like those are probably the three that haven't had role changes this year. They've just like, whatever they were day one, they stayed in, they've stayed in so far, you know? So when you think about like the whole team, the whole roster having to kind of like, you know, navigate that, that daily process, that's, that's a, that's, that's tough, you know, but I think you hope that by November, December, that gets figured out individually. You know, I think the coaches will probably figure it out a little bit sooner, but like, I think once as a player, they'll probably, the comfort will probably come a little bit after it's solidified. Right. So whenever that happens, then we see what this team's like true potential looks like, I guess. Yeah. I think, I mean, a lot of times this season they were forced into that as well, just, you know, with injuries and obviously you hope that doesn't happen, but if you have, you know, people that can step up and make contributions, I think, I mean, that just hopefully pays dividends down the road too for your younger players who might be asked to do more next season or the season after um, and play in bigger roles. But this team is is so deep, and we've talked about that too. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they miss Narcissus a lot because, I mean, you don't really have anyone that can truly replace her on the roster just with the skill set that she has. Yeah. Um, but they've had to adjust. And I mean, we've seen them continually, almost every single match, they'll throw in a different right side or, you know, they have somebody at middle switching with someone else. Like it's just that continuation of how is our team best? Different serving specialists. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's awesome to have obviously, but it's also like what's going to work long-term. And we're obviously hoping at this point they can kind of figure that out of, what's going to be our best look at this position or, you know, who's going to best perform continually. And hopefully just to give some people a little bit of comfortability too, of like, okay, this is what I really need to train at. Right. Because if you're a middle or right side, you're kind of like, where am I going to be asked to play right. in practice when I right. have limited time to work on things? Like what should I be focusing on the most? Yeah. And so I you're at a point of, okay, I should really like Kiara Reinhardt, right? She's probably been training at right side because they're yeah. like, I need the right side option. Now she's like, oh, we're going to throw you back into the middle. Obviously, you've done that. You know how to do it, but it's more natural. But yeah, there's practice, you've got to do that and, you know, get better and just, I guess, take accountability too and scout of, okay, this is the position I'm going to play, right? And I can know that and be comfortable in it. Yeah. Cause I mean, when you go to battle, you want to know like what your best weapons are. Yeah, you know when you go on the floor, you're like, all right, here's what I'm, here's what I'm bringing out to the floor right now. Like, you want to have confidence in that. I think that's like, it, I think that's why this Creighton season has been unique in that regard. It's it's because it's atypical, both from, I mean, first of all, the biggest what debate this year going into the season was like who's going to win that libero spot, right? Like, it felt like it was a really, you know, a tight race, and that it was kind of anybody's game going into the preseason. So, you know, you ask coach booth like okay in an ideal situation what do you want this to look like and is it possible that you have multiple players in and out as the season starts just to kind of like whoever's playing well that day gets it you know and the answer is always like no we don't want these position battles to be fluid we want them to be super competitive in the preseason but once they're won and defined we want them won and defined as the season goes along because you don't want this fluidity and this like uncertainty as you're playing matches, right? And I think that's why this season has been really unique, both from an injury standpoint 
and from inconsistencies in certain performances standpoint because it's forced the coaching staff out of their comfort zone and it's also put players in uncomfortable positions too because they don't really know what they're they don't really feel like their def- their roles are defined and we're in October yet so like that's kind of like it's kind of neat in a way but it's also one of these seasons we haven't really analyzed yet because I don't know who Creighton is on like week three usually is who Creighton is on like week 10, 20, right? Like we know who the key cogs are. We know what to expect out of everybody. And then you can kind of like assess whether that was like up to up to snuff or not. Like, because you just know what everybody's capable of. This one's kind of super unique, even back to like your career, right? Like you probably at some point way earlier than this knew who the top six were and what they were going to bring on a nightly basis. Right. Yeah, I would say so. That's yeah, that is the interesting part, obviously. And um, like this weekend too, Destinated Om Simpson was asked to play back row and kind of be the offensive option. So that was a different look too, I think. So just little things like that, you know, a player staying in for extra rotations or who are we gonna have serve, right? And I think they have people too, they feel comfortable bringing on as serving subs. So it's always kind of a surprise of, okay, what I guess is the coach looking for right now? Who's going to come in and can make an impact? Um, so a lot of people are given opportunities, even if it's in a small way to contribute, which is fun to see. But it is that guessing game of like, okay, should I be on deck to do this? Like, what do I need to really hone in on here? But at the end of the day, like, I need to be ready to go if my number is called. Yep. That's all I got for tonight. I don't know anything else to say. I don't know. It's kind of impressive that Creighton's thirteen and four with the wins they've had, considering the fluidity of of everything from both performance and injury wise. Like, like I said, like there's something to be said for the fact that they've been, been able to win the matches they've won, despite the lineup, uh, you know, being in flux to a degree. So, I don't know. Anything else you got, Meg? No, I don't think so. Okay. When's your next? Uh, when's your next call? When's your next uh, broadcast? Um, I think I'm doing when they play DePaul next, so I think it's November. All right, so you're kicking off championship month with uh, Megan Epperson on the first so. call, huh? Cool. Yeah, I think that one's at like 11.30, so. Cool. Sounds good. All right, everyone, we'll see you at Sokol uh, this weekend. They're playing Georgetown. Creighton plays Georgetown on Friday at 6 p.m., and then Sunday against Villanova at 1 p.m., so – yeah, the, the Jays will be back at home, but then they'll be on the road for two straight weekends. So this is maybe one of your last chances. This is your last chance in October to see the Jays. Um, three home matches in October. Good God, who put this schedule together, man? For God's sake. Craziness. All right, we'll talk about that on the next pod. <laughs> Meg's tired of me. Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up for Megan Epperson. I'm Matt DeMarinas. It was good to talk to you all again, and we'll see you next weekend.